Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. On this week's podcast, we'll be joined by ESPN's fantasy guru, Matthew Berry, and the man who makes up ESPN's fantasy football projections, Mike Clay, as they preview the upcoming fantasy football season for you as you get ready for your fantasy football draft. And then we'll be joined by the man who last week was nominated by the Hall of Fame Senior Committee to go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in the summer of 2021. His path is paved there. The former Dallas Cowboy great wide receiver, the outspoken and friendly and fun, Drew Pearson. That was last week's news, where much of it also emanated from Baltimore. Earlier in the week, the Baltimore Ravens worked out another former Dallas Cowboys wide receiver, Des Bryant, and then later in the week wound up releasing Pro Bowl safety Earl Thomas. As for Des Bryant's workout, went pretty well. Des Bryant liked the Ravens. The Ravens liked him. I think the team doesn't have a spot for him right now, but it would like to see him go back to Dallas, which he did, work out, get in better shape, better condition, more in football shape. Keep in mind he hasn't played in a couple of years. And then if the team has an opening, be in touch at a later date. Nothing's imminent with Des Bryant. Nothing will happen anytime soon. But the two sides did agree to stay in contact in the event that the Ravens do need a wide receiver at some point in this COVID season. As for Earl Thomas, the Pro Bowl safety they released on Sunday, those two sides will be engaged in a legal battle because when Baltimore released Earl Thomas, it tried to void the $10 million in guaranteed money that it owes him. Earl Thomas believes he's got language in his contract strong enough to entitle him to that money. And these two sides will fight it out in the court of law in a hearing and a grievance that could take place as early as this fall, but no later than after this season. Obviously, Earl Thomas is now a free agent. Everybody waiting to see where he's going to go. You know, the Dallas Cowboys were talking about it. I'm not getting a vibe initially that the Cowboys are rushing to do anything with him, which leads you to wonder whether they will do anything with him at all. And we won't find that out here for a little bit of time. But again, I think the market for Earl Thomas might not be as robust as some people seem to think. They want to know what happened in Baltimore, why that relationship went sour, the circumstances that led to his release. And because of that, I don't think teams are exactly rushing to go sign Earl Thomas at this point in time. They know what a great player he is. He's a Hall of Fame talent. But I think teams are trying to get some more information before they make any move. And I think Dallas is in that category, making calls across the league and not necessarily loving what they're initially hearing. We'll see what the Cowboys wind up doing. Meanwhile, in Tampa, interesting observation that I've gotten from that organization. Everybody's talking about how Tom Brady will elevate the level of play from Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, O.J. Howard, Rob Gronkowski, Cameron Brait. But the fact of the matter is, when you speak to the people down there, the performance that he's really elevated is that of the Buccaneers' defense. There is a tremendous amount of enthusiasm in that defense, at least in the first part of camp, for going out and facing the greatest quarterback of all time. The defense gets hyped about it every day. The defensive backs can't wait to go do it. and Basically, you've got a situation where people find that the defense has upped its level of play and is really improved, 
And I think they attribute that to the fact that they're going up against Tom Brady every day in practice. The other notable development from this weekend were all the positive tests that ran through the NFL on Saturday and Sunday. Can you imagine if this were the regular season and there were 77 positive COVID tests from 11 teams and they were about to play a game? Those players wouldn't be able to play. Well, that happened this weekend. 77 positive tests. They all came back false positives. The 77 tests were rerun at the lab in New Jersey, bioreference labs, on Sunday night into Monday morning, and every one of the tests came back negative. Wow. I mean, just think about the regular season. Right now, as it is only three players across the entire NFL are currently on the COVID IR list, but Sunday showed a different light of the problem, a different side of it. And we talked about that issue on this podcast about a month ago. When the Eagles had a coach test positive, the organization panicked, alarm bells went off. This was in the beginning stages of how everybody was adjusting to the new testing procedures and protocols. And they sent on the coach only to find out it was a false positive. Now there were 77 of them over the weekend. And Bioreference Labs has done all the testing for the NBA down in the bubble in Orlando and done a great job and had no issues. This was an issue. And this is something that bioreference labs must get corrected by the time the season starts. Otherwise, more panic and chaos could ensue as the NFL is trying to kick off its season. All right, before we get into today's episode, I want to remind everyone with the much-anticipated start of the 2020 football season just around the corner, make sure you're staying up to date on all your fancy football news with the ESPN Fancy Experts, Matthew Berry, Field Yates, Stefania Bell, Mike Clay, and Daniel Dopp on the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast. You'll get daily strategy, previews, and injury reports to ensure you have all the information you'll need for your fantasy football team. Be sure to download and subscribe to Fantasy Focus Football and the Adam Schefter Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, this week's podcast. All right, it's that time of the year again where everybody seems to be getting ready for their fantasy football draft if they haven't had one already and so we figured we would turn to two people in the know about it steal them away from the fancy football marathon that started on espn sunday night runs through monday night mike clay author of the ultimate draft board article on espn plus and also matthew berry the author of the love hate column on espn.com it's got the fantasy show on espn plus and these guys know fantasy as well as anybody and so, Mike, Matthew, thank you for the time today. How are we getting ready for these drafts? Tell me who you love. Tell me who you're avoiding. Let's hear all the lowdown for people out there that are getting ready for their fancy football dress. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. I mean, I'll, I'll jump in right away because you say love and hate. And, and Matthew Berry's uh, love, hate, of course, as you mentioned, just came out. And, and look, there's some guys in there on his hate list who I'm telling people to draft. So I'm looking forward to this next, uh, whatever we're going to do here, 45 <laughs> minutes out an hour to argue about some of these guys. Cause uh, it seems like we, we have some, uh, some guys you might have to put on the board here, Matthew. Well, well before Matthew, Fair enough. Jump, wait, wait, hold on. So, so right away, yeah. let's get, let's get to it right away. Mike. Well, all I, all I was going to say, Adam, is before we get there and we, we debate players and I make Mike look silly is <laughs> what I was going to say is, is that, what I think is important as we approach this season, and you know this better than anyone, Adam, uh, given all the reporting you're doing, but 
this is going to be a season unlike any other, obviously, as the NFL and the world deals with the effects of COVID-19. And, and so I think it, when you approach your drafts, uh, to me, I think that's something, look, there's a fantasy football, it's always a lot that's unknown, but this, more, this year more than ever. So this year, among the things that I want to do is I want to focus on teams and situations where I can, where you have players, you know, in a, in a year where there's no preseason games, in a year where there's only 14 padded practices, give me guys that are in the same system with the same coaches, with the same quarterbacks, when I can. You know, like, again, they're all sort of an elite level, but I'll give you an example. DeAndre Hopkins is an awesome player. We all know this, right? DeAndre Hopkins is going to have a very good year. But when you get up at the top levels, I would prefer a Tyreek Hill, a Michael Thomas, a Julio Jones, uh, Devontae Adams, guys that are in the same situation with the same quarterback and the same offense than somebody like DeAndre Hopkins who's going to a new team, a new system, and a new quarterback. Again, at that elite level, you have to nitpick. So that's one of the things that I think is different about this year than any other is that I think you have to consider the environment that we're in. Well, Mike said that there were some guys on Matthew's hate list that he loved. So let's go there, Mike. Who are some of the guys right away that you are targeting, that you would draft, that you like, that Matthew doesn't like? All right. Well, look, I'm going to start a wide receiver because one of my favorite targets this season is a young man uh, leading that Denver Broncos offense, Cortland Sutton. I mean, he's, he's the top wide receiver there. You know, we saw him have a bit of a breakout in his second season uh, last year with the six touchdowns over 1,100 yards. I've been a big fan of him since he came into the league and, you know, put together a top 20 season in a very run heavy offense. Uh, that had obviously a quarterback change during the season. So, look, I know they added other skill position players there. I get that. Uh, but, you you know, you have your quarterback going into his second season. I think Sutton is super talented, and I don't think his target share is going to change much. You know, they just had a lot of targets going to inferior players that are going to go to guys like Jerry Judy and perhaps mm -hmm. Noah Fan, K.J. Hamler. But Sutton's still going to be the guy. I believe in the talent, and uh, I love him as a target. So, Matthew, I know the industry's down on him, but I, you know, I'm I'm surprised to see you have him on there. I'm buying. I understand, and I think the important thing, Adam, for people to know about your audience, know about love hate. If you're not familiar with the article, it's not that I hate Cortland Sutton as a player. He's a fantastic player. He's super talented. What I hate is his ADP of wide receiver 15, where he's going ahead of guys like AJ Brown, ahead of Tyler Lockett, ahead of Robert Woods. So I hate where he's being drafted. Okay, you think about you mentioned last year. Okay, fine. Last year, he was sixth in target share and end zone targets per game. And yet, even with all that opportunity, he was wide receiver 27 on a points-per-game basis. So one of two things happens, right? Either they continue their run-heavy ways, right? And now you've got a, a, you know, a run-first offense that's splitting more touches. I'm sorry. You don't draft Jerry Judy and ignore him. I like Noah Fant a lot. I think he breaks out. You don't add a guy like Melvin Gordon, who has almost 100 receptions in the last two years where he's only played 12 games these last two years. Melvin Gordon's a really nice pass-catching running back. right? And you got K.J. Hamler is there as well. So my Lindsay. point is, is that oh, – Yeah, and Philip Lindsay is a nice pass-catching back. I mean, like, there's a lot of weapons there for what we expect to be a conservative, run-heavy, play-good-defense kind of team. And so, again – like, do I think Cartland Sutton's a nice player? Of course I do. Do I think he leads the Broncos in receptions, yards, touchdowns, fantasy points among their pass catchers? Sure. But do I like him more than A.J. Brown, who was a monster and is literally the only guy in Tennessee? Do I like him more than, uh, than Tyler Lockett, who, who along with D.K. Metcalf is all that Russell Wilson, the only quarterback to throw 30 or more touchdown passes each of the last three seasons? 
Do I like him more than those guys? More than Robert Woods, who's wide receiver 12 over the last two years on a points-per-game basis? I don't. I don't. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I, again, he was wide receiver 27 on a points-per-game basis last year. He only he had three games all of last year with more than five catches. And there's no way his target share goes up with the addition of Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, Melvin Gordon, Noah Fant, et cetera, et cetera. That's my argument. Matthew, give me a guy that you love. I'm sure you've gone through a number of drafts. I know there's a lot of guys you love, but who's a guy that you are heavily invested in already and will continue to be so as the draft process unfolds? You know, this, a, a guy that we just sort of talked about, look, fantasy success comes from two things. It comes from talent and it comes from opportunity. In the case of Cortland Sutton, Mike and I agree on the talent. We disagree on the opportunity as it relates to other players being drafted in his area. Mm-hmm. A guy that has a ton of talent and a ton of opportunity but isn't being drafted like it is Chris Carson, who I have as running back. I, I have him as player 23 overall. I am as a low second round, early third round pick. And on ESPN – which is where we're using our ADP, ESPN.com. You can play for free, sign up for free. I'm a company man. On ESPN.com, Adam, Chris Carson's going in the middle to late fourth round. And I don't get it. So this is a guy over the last two years, here's the entire list of running backs that have at least 1,100 rushing yards and at least nine total touchdowns each of the past two seasons. 1,100 rushing yards, nine total touchdowns. Ezekiel Elliott, Chris Carson. That's it. That's the list. Okay, like the the arguments against Chris Carson as well. Well, he's well, he's well, he's injury prone. But he's played 29 games the last two seasons. That's the same number of games as Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley. That's more than Dalvin Cook's 25 games that he's played. I mean, and those are all three guys that people have no problem spending first round picks on. Then they talk about the fumbles. Well, if ever there was a coach to have some uh, fumbling issues with, it's Pete Carroll. He had fumble issues last year. Pete Carroll threw him right back out there. So you think about talent, we agree, I, at least I believe Chris Carson's a special player. I know they love him in Seattle. They absolutely love this kid. And then you think about the opportunity. So here's his competition. Rashad Penny, who's likely to start the season on the physically unable to perform list and who's been injured his entire NFL career. Carlos Hyde, who's on his sixth team in four years and has come in and immediately said, and they've all said, I'm just here to back up Chris. It's Chris's job. My belief is that Carlos Hyde signing was more about the concern of Rashad Penny's health and not necessarily Chris Carson's. And then DJ Dallas, who when, when Pete Carroll uh, was doing his post-NFL draft press conference, Pete Carroll said about DJ Dallas, the first thing out of his mouth is, we can't wait to see him on special teams. What, what about Travis he's, Homer? He's the leading Travis running back Homer? of a run-heavy, great offense. What about Travis Homer? What about him? You really <laughs> think Travis Homer is going to take – you really think Travis Homer is going to take – you know, significant carries away from uh, from Chris Carson, who well, again has been has been um, uh, Chris Carson has been like top five in terms of uh, carries per game the last couple of years. Now, listen, Travis Homer played well last year down the stretch when he was he called did. upon, but Chris Carson is a beast. The guy fits that offense. He fits what they want to do. I love Chris Carson. I, I've actually done a couple of best ball drafts, Matthew. And I think yes. I've got about four of them, four right now, four $3 best bowl drafts uh, on a site called Underdog, if I could plug that one. And I've gotten two shares of Chris Carson so far in my four drafts. Love it. He's, he's, he's not a sexy player. He's not a big name, uh, but he, he produces at a high level. And again, he's the starting running back on a run-heavy offense that is one of the best offenses in the NFL. And, and without a lot of competition for touches. And so 
that is somebody that I love. That is the essence of love-hate, is finding players that I think will outperform their ADP. And Carson is going in the middle of the fourth round, who I believe is a late second round, early third rounder, a perfect RB2 this year, is somebody that I love. Mike Clay, give me one guy that you have found you – give me one guy that you've drafted a lot of since you've been participating in drafts this offseason as we get ready for the start of the season. Yeah, that's, uh, there's there's a list at every uh, level of a draft, but I think a guy that I've really been after because I can't believe there's not more hype around him is Adam Thielen in Minnesota. I mean, talk about a guy that comes at a discount who has delivered the goods. You know, we're talking about a guy who is a top 10 fantasy receiver in 2017 and a top 10 receiver in 2018. And then last season, he was ninth when he got hurt in week seven. And that was in a low volume Vikings uh, pass offense and with Stefan Diggs mixed in there. Now Diggs, of course, is gone. You put a rookie out there along with them. Uh, they're still going to run heavy packages. We know that even with Kevin Stefanski gone, you're going to see a ton of Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith out there. You're going to see CJ Ham out there. And those guys aren't going to demand huge target shares. Justin Jefferson and Busy Johnson and Tajay Sharp, they're not going to demand huge target shares. Adam Thielen is. He is one of the highest target share floors in the NFL this season. You know, I know he missed some time last season, and that's kind of knocking his ADP down a little bit, but you can take advantage of that. So I think he's a shoo-in if healthy for around 80 catches, well over 1,000 yards, six or seven touchdowns. I mean, he's probably going to give you another top 10 campaign. So uh, Thielen, in those early rounds, along with the, the wide receivers Matthew was just talking about, he's going right in that range. I think he's better than all those guys like Brown and Ridley and even Sutton, who I love a lot. Uh, Thielen is is the guy I've been drafting a ton. Adam Thielen is money in the bank. He's money in the bank. And you're looking for money in the bank in the first two, three rounds, right? You want a little upside and a little money in the bank. Yeah, listen, I, I'm with uh, Mike on this one. Look, the concern on Thielen is only the health. But just, you know, just pure talent-wise, he's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And for his career, just to give some context to what Mike's talking about, for his career, when he has seen at least nine targets, which given the lack of other reliable pass catchers in Minnesota is certainly likely. For his career, when he sees nine targets a game, he averages 22.8 fantasy points per game in PPR. Last year, the only wide receiver to average more than 22.8 points per game was Michael Thomas. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. And he averaged 23.4, just like less than half a point more than that. I mean, so Adam Thielen, assuming health, has top three wide receiver in the NFL upside. You know what I mean? Like, he, he's, that's within the range of outcomes for him. People forget about 2018 for that first half of the year where Adam Thielen was, like, the best wide receiver in football. So, you know, fantasy managers sometimes have short memories, too short of memories. And so they think about what happened last year, and they don't think about sort of more of the situation and sort of the overall scope of the potential of a player. I want each of you, and we'll start with Matthew, to give me a rookie offensive player that's going to make an impact this year. and. I think I know what you'll both say, but I want to ask anyway, because I think there are a lot of great offensive skill position players, a lot of people doing dynasty drafts. So give me a guy or two that you think will make an impact this year as a rookie. So I'll give you the obvious guy, and then I'll give you maybe the less obvious guy. The obvious guy is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who I have as a top six player overall and a top six running back. You know, he's the number one running back on an Andy Reid offense. We know this. We've seen We've seen if you can be the number one running back on the, on the Andy Reid offense, like I honestly think I could be a top 20 running back. Like he's just that good. You think about Coral Buckhalter or, um, you know, uh, some of the other guys like uh, Sharkandrick West, you know, that, that, that Andy has made fantasy superstars. And now you've got a guy 
in CEH, who's the only player in SEC history. Field and I both use this stack quite a bit. He's the only player in in uh, in uh, in uh, in SEC history to have over a thousand rushing yards and uh, over 50 receptions in the same season. So he's a perfect fit for what they want to do. He's the first time that Andy Reid's ever used a first-round draft pick on a running back with Damian Williams opting out of the 2020 season. He's going to be the starting running back of a Patrick Mahomes-led offense for Andy Reid. Andy compared him favorably to Brian Westbrook on draft day. Westbrook was a top-seven fantasy running back for Andy, including two years as the number one running back in fantasy when they were in Philly together. So, you know, he's to me, he's the obvious one. The second one is is a similar... Um, sort of situation in terms of a, a running back that can not only run between the tackles, but also can catch a lot of passes. And that's Antonio Gibson of my Washington professional football team. Oh. You know, the, the comparison that uh, Antonio, the, what Ron Rivera and Scott Turner, their offense coordinator, talked about, remember, of course, both those guys were in Carolina last year, was that his skill set reminded him of Christian McCaffrey, reminded them of Christian McCaffrey. And that's not to say, I'm not sitting here saying Antonio Gibson is Christian McCaffrey, right? Or even that he's going to be used as much as CMC was. But what they appreciate is the versatility that Gibson brings. He's, he's, he's already training with uh, the running back's room and the wide receiver's room in Washington. And you think about this Washington football offense. Look, they're not going to be able to just go out and bulldoze people, right? They're not going to be able to, like, hat in a hat and just beat people. They're going to have to out-scheme people and get clever, clever and get uh, tricky and so the versatility uh, that they're going to be able to use with Gibson in terms of scheming him open and getting him in the right matchups, I think is really, really interesting. His, his, uh, his ADP has obviously risen quite a bit with the release of Darius Geis, but I still believe he has the potential to be a value. And just to answer your question, give me a rookie that's going to make an impact this year. I'll say Antonio Gibson. Hmm. Mike? Yes. Well, first of all, Matthew, uh, you know, some some applause there for saying Clyde Edwards Hilaire, right? I think we've all kind of been butchering that. That's the correct pronunciation. It's like J.J. Ortega Whiteside of this year, right? So uh, appreciate you nailing the, the pronunciation. Wait, um, so it's Clyde Edwards Hilaire? Hilaire? Like Hilaire. Exactly. That's what the pronunciation guide says. So Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I now got it. I'm now ready for for the opening night of the season, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Okay. There you go. There you okay. go. Beautiful. Uh, so um, anyway, I'll get. I'll do the same thing. I'll give you a pair of running backs here, one more obvious than the other. Uh, and again, I'm going to start with the guy off off the hate list here. I'm going to go DeAndre Swift for Detroit. Uh, look, I think there's more volume and opportunity than people realize in this Lions uh, in this Lions backfield. You just look at last season, right? The Lions running backs were not very efficient, not very effective in fantasy, but they were 14th in carries they were 11th in pass routes there's opportunity in this offense and swift should get a big one i mean he's going to be the the primary pass catcher you would think all reports so far in in camp suggest that he is uh getting plenty of work in that department we know he has it in him he got 73 passes during his time at georgia in a pro style offense he obviously handled a ton of uh volume as a rusher as well just a, a good all-around solid back with decent speed and, and again, he has three down upside. So I know Kerryon Johnson's there, but I still think there's plenty of opportunity uh, for Swift to make noise right away. And what should be a, a better offense. Remember, they were scoring when Matthew Stafford was healthy last season. They were a 500 team. Stafford was delivering QB1 numbers until he went down. Then they lost every game the rest of the season. So uh, uh, I'm, on, I'm in on him as a, a borderline RB2. And then my deeper sleeper, I mean, it's my favorite guy in the draft. And, and, you know, we talked about Chris Carson earlier. He was my favorite player in the draft a few years ago. Loved him a lot. Loved Jordan Howard as well. And the guy that kind of fits that bill, a guy that's a good tackle breaker, very 
uh, elusive, can kind of do it all, uh, is Zach Moss. You know, I, I, I love him going to Buffalo. He should do more than Frank Gore did in that offense last season. Again, he's, he's slow. He disappointed in the 40 fine. We, we've seen guys overcome a lack of long speed at running back in recent years. But, you know, the guy's good size. He's over 220 pounds. He could catch the football. Again, he was top two in forced, uh, forced missed tackles and yards after contact over the last two seasons in college. He had high, high level efficiency back-to-back years. And, and again, I know Devin Singletary is involved in this Buffalo offense, but I think Moss is the, the better prospect here. And I don't think it's going to take long for that to show on the field. So you can get him around round 10, jump in, grab him, get him on your bench. And at some point, I think that pays off. I, I will say, I was just going to, I was just going to echo Mike's thoughts. I think Moss is a great call. It's one of the reasons why I'm lower on Singletary than I think some of my contemporaries, you know, the, the other, other, the other obvious name here, Adam is Jonathan Taylor in Indianapolis. Uh, how do you, I'm curious, Adam, like, cause here's the thing, Mike, Adam always has us on, I compete in a league with Adam and I always, I always, every year I come on this, this podcast and I, I don't even know if they release this podcast. I truly believe this is just Adam's way of, of trying to get some Intel for our, uh, our war room league draft here at ESPN, where Adam and I have had many epic battles over the years. Yes. Um, but I always like that because Adam knows Intel as well. Get, what are you, what are you hearing, Adam? You're talking to every coach, every general manager, all the agents, you're, you're Mr. Inside. What are you hearing in terms of some rookies that you like a lot? Well, you know what was interesting the other day? I noticed on social media right away when everybody was touting Jonathan Taylor, who I think would be a great player. And look, to me, you just follow the talent evaluators and teams, and you follow where they pick them, and you get an idea right then and there of how much they like them. Like you mentioned that Andy Reid has never drafted a running back in round one, and he did this year. And not only did he draft Clyde Edwards-Alaire, but I remember in the days leading up to the draft, speaking to some offensive-minded coaches and saying to them, give me the guy you love. And I heard from a couple of different people before the draft, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I'm like, oh, okay. And I like to basically attach certain credibility to certain players by who likes them. And so I heard a lot about that guy from people I trust and respect. And sure enough, Andy Reid goes and takes him in round one, which he's never done in that offense. And then Damian Williams, as you mentioned, Matthew, opts out. When, when he opted out, I said, well, okay, well, that, that's over. Because I thought I'm going to be able to get Clyde Edwards-Alaire late in round one, early round two. And now he's going, that's it. Like he's going mid, middle first round, maybe higher, maybe higher. So I, I noticed the other day on Jonathan Taylor, who I also like, because Chris Ballard has a great eye for talent. The Colts, yes. he knows yeah. what he's doing. And if he's taking a running back in round two, that tells me, okay, I want a piece of Jonathan Taylor. However, I think Marlon Mack is a little better than people think. And I know the Colts have a great offensive line. Marlon Mack has also been injury prone. But I think that, look, that's going to be Jonathan Taylor's job eventually. I don't think the Colts are going to pay Marlon Mack what he's looking for. So, they may have drafted him for 2021 as much as they did 2020. But if he is the sensation that I think they think he is, maybe he takes over from Marlon Mack right now. But I'll tell you this, Marlon Mack had a lot of respect from a lot of players in social media the other day. I noticed that. They're like, he's better than you people realize and better than you people know and think. And he's not just going to go away. So I, I don't think that Jonathan Taylor is the workhorse in Indianapolis right away. Not at all. 
Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. Adam, I'll give you two names, and then I have a question. I have two names and a question for you. Just two other guys yeah. as we're talking rookies. Um, and, and this sort of goes to draft philosophy. So one guy absolutely love in Baltimore, J.K. Dobbins. And I would much rather – listen, he's behind Mark Ingram. But in, in a year of which, the, you know, uh, yeah. as Mark Ingram enters into his, you know, over 30-year-old running back season, yeah. and we've, you know, we're dealing with all the you know, challenges around COVID-19. If J.K. Dobbins were to become the starter at any point this season, he's potentially a league winner. He, he's a phenomenal true three-down back. I was happy to snipe him from Mike Clay in the dynasty league that Mike and I are in together yep. uh, with my first-round rookie yep. pick this year. Yep. And, uh, I mean, I think Do- Dobbins is somebody that I think can be very special in Baltimore. Yep. But this year, I would much rather take uh, somebody like J.K. Dobbins, who's going in the 11th round. Give me J.K. Dobbins over somebody like James White, who's going right next to him. James White is fine. James White will be usable every week of the season as opposed to J.K. Dobbins, who may not be usable except for a couple of weeks. But the weeks that you know that J.K. Dobbins is, like, starting, he's going to be a top-five running back running behind in Baltimore, whereas James White is – James White's, you know, best upside is, like, high-end flex play. So that's a, that's a rookie running back that I'm, I'm targeting a lot late in drafts. And then the other guy that I would mention is Anthony McFarlane in Pittsburgh, another guy that I think is a three-down back – I'm not a big fan of Benny Snell or Jalen Samuels or candidly even James Conner, although James Conner's ADP is fine, and he certainly has top ten upside as we've seen before. But he's had trouble staying healthy throughout his career, and I do think that that Steelers offense is being undervalued across the board and that if James Conner, who hasn't played 16 games in an NFL season yet in his NFL career, if James Conner were to miss time, I do think McFarlane would be the beneficiary. You started to ask me about J.K. Dobbins, and here's what I know about J.K. Dobbins. Yes, it sir. Is, it is Mark Ingram's job in Baltimore, and he's the guy. And if you are in a dynasty league, that's what I would say. You want J.K. Dobbins in a dynasty league because that guy is going to be a monster, and he's going to be great. But it's going to take Mark Ingram getting banged up this year for him to be that back this season. Now, it's a long year, and as you mentioned, it's a COVID year, and who knows? And he could be a league winner if he takes over because he, he'd be awfully effective. But I could tell you that J.K. Dobbins today is a better dynasty pick than he is a 2021 pick. Saying that, saying that, I, every GM that I spoke to all thought the guy was a first-round talent, and they couldn't believe he slipped to the second round and went to Baltimore. They couldn't believe it. So the guy is a huge talent. And he will thrive in Baltimore, but I believe he will thrive more in 2021 than they will this year, unless there is an injury to Mark Ingram. And then, as you said, Matthew J.K. Dobbins is a league winner. Like, you know what I like in one best ball draft I did, a three-dollar yeah. best bowler. I took Mark Ingram, which quite ordinarily, I don't know, I like I like Mark Ingram. He's talented, but I came right back and took J.K. Dobbins. And I'm like, why well, now have the Baltimore backfield? Yeah. Love, love that move in best ball, especially. So here's my other question for you. And then I know you have a lot of questions for Mike. But listen, I know you talked to Los Angeles. Sean McVay's been on this podcast before on the Adam Schefter Show. Um, which Rams running back are you drafting? You know, we saw the hard knocks. We saw Henderson running with the ones, but they obviously used a pick on Cam Akers. You've got Malcolm Brown still there, the veteran. How do you foresee the Rams running back situation play out? Because I think that's a really interesting one. And I know you have some insight into that team. You know, it's funny you should say that. I, I will say this. I, I've got a lot of friends in the Rams organization. 
And I'm, and I'm not just saying this, Matthew, I have not had the conversation with them specifically that I will about running backs just yet. So I can't give you, and I'm not holding out on you. I'm not, I just haven't had that, but I'll tell you a funny Sean McVay story in this day and age of COVID. I think, you know, we're staying up a little later than I normally would. And I'm getting up a little later. And so last Saturday morning, at about 7 in the morning, I'm stirring. I'm about to get up on a Saturday at 7 a.m. And I hear my phone buzzing. And I'm like, I'm getting texted already? Who's this? <laughs> and it was Sean McVay. So it was like hmm. four, four, a little after 4 in the morning on the West Coast. <laughs> I'm just getting wow. up. I felt like I was slacking on the East Coast getting up when I did. And it was him. But I haven't had the chance to basically get what I want about that backfield just yet. Not I'll, yet. I'll tell you what, though. I mean, they're, they're both not overly expensive right right now. I mean, you can get both guys. You can take Akers in, say, the fifth round. And Daryl Henderson, I've gotten into double-digit rounds quite often. I mean, this guy was going around, what, round five, six of times last year? The, the hype was crazy for him. Uh, and that was with Todd Gurley in that backfield. We're talking about a guy who over his last two seasons at college, of college, 344 carries, guys. He averaged 8.9 yards per carry over 344 carries. I don't care what college you're at, what the competition level is. That is ridiculous. So I have not given hope, up hope on Henderson. I still think there's a chance he plays a, a huge role in McFay's offense. Obviously, McFay's brilliant. He's been, really maximized his talent in that offense for the most part. So... Uh, look, I like Acres as a prospect, but I'm fine taking both. Uh, you know, I, they're just they're just not pricey enough in drafts to stay away. You know, it's interesting. I, it's interesting is that I get a lot of friends, family members, acquaintances that text me for fancy advice, tips, knowledge at this time of the year, and and I've gotten that question twice already. Which Rams back do I want, Cam Akers or or Henderson? Twice already. Yeah, I mean, well, because if you're the lead running back for Sean McVay, you know, good things can happen, and I'm totally with Mike here. I mean, Henderson made my love list, uh, love list that came out in love, hate and the others receiving votes because not only is he dirt cheap, he's going in the, in the 12th round, he's going, you know, significantly behind cam acres. And to, to Mike's point, yeah. this is a guy that was going much higher last year when Todd Gurley was there. So he's, it's now a year later, he's going much later despite a much easier path to significant playing time for Daryl Henderson. And I have a weird theory that I'll run by you, Adam, that we can move off the Rams. But I have a weird theory that Sean McVay doesn't like rookies. Everyone was all hyped up about Daryl Henderson last year. And, you know, Sean McVay, after the draft, said we had him as, like, the most explosive player coming out of college last year. We all heard the, you know, the, the quotes, and we hyped him up. And then he didn't get on the field. He couldn't get on the field last year. And so Sean McVay's offense is complicated. Um, and so you sit here in a year, which we've talked about, no preseason games, 14 padded practices only. I think Daryl Henderson, Cam Akers may be the guy, who knows, maybe it's a committee, we don't know, but I think Daryl Henderson has tremendous upside at, to Mike's point, a very low ADP. The only thing I would say is they took Cam Akers relatively high. That's, and so when teams do that, if they felt so good about Henderson, why'd they go take a running back high? It either tells you they didn't believe in Henderson as much, or it tells you they just loved Akers that much. It's one or the, or the other. It's one Fair. or the other. Yeah. It could it could be that for sure. I mean, it's something I've thought about as well. But but think about this. I mean, he's a second round pick, right? So if you look at the past decade, 
Only six of the 23 backs drafted in the second round finished better than RB28 as a rookie. I mean, so, you know, presumably those teams love those backs as well, that they're, they're taking on day two. And still, you know, six out of 23 over the past decade were top 28. So uh, it seems to there it seems to be a, a side of first-round picks. It seems to take some time for these guys to really get on the field and make a huge impact. And that's why sometimes you, I think when uh, it is a round two or round three pick, maybe you do lean toward the veteran that's already there. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and I'll, wasn't wasn't Henderson a third round pick off the top was, of my yes. head? Yes, he was. So I mean, it's not like. And and the other thing I'll say is that sometimes, and fantasy analysts get caught up in this as well. And I think your point's well taken, Adam. But I would also say is, is that ultimately, um, sometimes I think we put too much stock in draft capital. I mean, it's one of the reasons why Chris Carson is continually underrated because he was a seventh round draft pick, and everyone was all in on Rashad Penny because they used a first round draft pick. But, I mean, Adam, you know this. I've talked to some people around Seattle as well, and I think you back me up on it. They love Chris Carson there. And, I mean, no disrespect to Rashad Penny, but, like, it, Chris Carson's going to have to do a lot to lose that job. Oh, like, it's, it's his job. It's his job. Yeah. He's a, Penny's not healthy, and Chris Carson is a man. So, yeah. Um, all right. Um, before I let you go, we've covered a lot of ground, but I want each of you, starting with Mike, to give me another sleeper we haven't mentioned a guy that you would like to take in the late rounds. And I'll give you one of mine as well. A guy that I, and I would have, I might've given you Anthony McFarlane there, Matthew, but I'll give you another guy late in the okay. rounds that, that, that I think merits consideration. Uh, Mike, go ahead. Give me your sleeper. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the tight end position, right? We haven't talked much about it. I think there's values at a lot of levels, but mm. how about this stat? All right. So let's go back to all the way back to 2017 through last season, right? That's a pretty decent sample. Uh, of of uh, action in the NFL. So these are the leaders in yards per target among rookie tight ends during that span. Mark Andrews, Rob Gronkowski, Hunter Henry, and I'm going to leave two blank spaces, Aaron Hernandez, Zach Ertz, Jordan Reed, Jimmy Graham, George Kittle. Okay, so eight of those 10 are basically fantasy superstars, right? I mean, those guys all panned out uh, in, in fantasy football. The two that I left blank, Chris Herndon and Noah Fant. I mean, are they the next two great fantasy tight ends? I think it's very possible that is the case. Fan obviously, is a 21-year-old. Last season in that offense, it was very run-heavy. Again, we talked about it earlier, uh, was tight end 16. That's extremely good for a rookie tight end. And now he enters year number two. And, of course, Chris Herndon, he was a guy who was primed for a breakout last season. And, obviously, at the injury, only played a few snaps. But all systems seem to be go uh, for him here in 2020. So, uh, again, Fant goes a little bit earlier, but either one of those guys I love as late flyers at tight end. Matthew, you're a sleeper. I think both those guys are great, and I will say that my attitude on tight end this year is either to be one of the first guys in my league to get a tight end or one of the last because there is so much depth. You mentioned Fant. You mentioned Herndon, Hawkinson, Jonu Smith, Blake Jarwin, Ian Thomas. There's a lot of guys here, but I'll give you a tight end as well, and that's Mike Gusecki, huh. who last year tied for the most end zone targets among tight ends. From week nine on last year, he was the eighth-best tight end in fantasy. I think that Dolphins offense is going to be better than what it was last year. They have, you know, they have, a, uh, they have spent the offseason improving the offensive line. And then you think about sort of targetry, right? Again, talent versus opportunity. We know Gusecki has talent. We know that why the Dolphins picked him high. Uh, we saw him in college. He was great. And so you, then you think about, well, who's there? Well, they got Devontae Parker. Okay. And then you're like, well, They've already had two wide receivers opt out for the 2020 season. Preston Williams coming off of a major injury, and we don't know how 100% healthy he's going to be to start the season. 
And while the Dolphins have definitely improved, this is still a team, whether it's Ryan Fitzpatrick or Tua under center, they're going to be throwing. So uh, Gasicki is somebody that I like a lot as a late flyer. And I'll give you one other late-round sleeper, um, especially for people in two-quarterback leagues, deep leagues, super flex leagues, best ball leagues. Gardner Minshew, I think, is somebody that I'm really high on. Listen, you know, I think Big Ben's being undervalued. I think Daniel Jones is being undervalued. Those are all quarterbacks going in the, you know, outside the top 10 that I think have top 10 potential, obviously. But somebody who's going way late, not even being drafted, is Gardner Minshew, who comes in last year, had, you know, at least 16 fantasy points in eight of his 12 starts last year. More mobile than he gets credit, 27 or more rushing yards in eight of the 12 starts as well. And gets Jay Gruden as his offensive coordinator. Jay Gruden's been a play caller or a head coach for nine seasons. We throw out 2019, he was fired, you know, five games, and you can't count that. So now you go eight seasons. First year with Andy Dalton, it was his rookie year. There were two years in Washington. His first year in Washington, that was the RG3 or Kirk Cousins year. He had to use three different quarterbacks. Colt McCoy got some starts. Throw that out. And then you think about his last full year in Washington, 2018, when he had to start four different quarterbacks, including Mark Sanchez, our colleague, Adam and Mike, uh, and, uh, and Josh Johnson, AAF superstar Josh Johnson. Okay. So those are the three years you throw out. Every other year, he's had a top 13 fantasy quarterback, mostly Andy Dalton and Kirk Cousins. Five out of the eight years, he's had a top 13 fantasy quarterback. What does Jay Gruden like to do? He likes to throw. What does the new quarterbacks coach of the Jaguars, Ben McAdoo, like to do? He likes to throw. And you think about this Jaguars defense, which is brutal. I mean, it's, it's going to be a long year for Jags fans. Right, So they're going to be throwing a lot, and I think there is something. We always talk about how the biggest uh, improvement an NFL player makes is from year one to year two. Last year, Gardner Minshew was just trying to find the field, right? They didn't, you know, and like the Nick Foles and everything like that, he's just sort of thrown into it. This year, he comes and he knows he's the guy. Nick Foles is now in Chicago. Jay Gruden and Ben McAdoo come in, and they're going to mold what they do around what Gardner Minshew does well. They're, not going, to, they're going to take out what he doesn't. And so here you've got a guy who's a mobile guy in, a, in what should be a pass-heavy offense um, coming into the season. I just think Gardner Minshew is a really interesting late-round flyer for two quarterback leagues, deeper leagues. Um, you know, he's being drafted outside the top 20 quarterbacks, and I think he, he finishes significantly in that. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to literally open up my best ball draft that I did last night. Yep. On underdog. Okay, my final picks in that draft, um, specifically, okay, pick – 184, Steven Sims, Washington, football. Sure. Wide receiver. Pick 201, Kendrick Bourne, 49ers, wide receiver. Pick 208, Dan Arnold, tight end, Arizona. There would be three names I would give you. Steven Sims, Kendrick Bourne, Dan Arnold. And as you mentioned, the tight ends, a lot of depth. Kendrick Bourne, look, Debo Samuel is hurt. We don't know if he's going to be ready to start the season. Jalen Hurd, who they really liked who they really liked, is out for the year. Emmanuel Sanders left in free agency. Brandon Ayuk is a rookie. Who's catching the ball there besides George Kittle? Yeah. So Kendrick Bourne, almost by default, has to be a guy, not to mention he's pretty good. So Kendrick Bourne is a name to watch. And Steven Sims flashed last year in Washington. I know they got some talent there. Terry McLaurin, everybody knows him. But Steven Sims, I think, is a little bit better and a little bit off the radar. And again, drafted him last night at 184. So there are a few names for you as we get ready for the draft season here. There's a lot of names. I love this time of the year. You know, this is, to me, one of your guys' busiest times of the year. We're going to be on ESPN 
uh, throughout the day Monday with the Fancy Football Marathon. And I want to thank Mike Clay, author of the Ultimate Draft Board article on ESPN Plus, and Matthew Berry, the author of the Love Hate article on ESPN.com, and the Fancy Show on ESPN Plus. I want to thank you for your time, your insights, and I think I was able to glean enough information from Matthew to be able to steal some of his picks. Happens to be every year. <laughs> always, oh, always fun, Shefty. Always fun. Matthew, Mike, I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much, guys. So hopefully you were able to glean something there from ESPN fantasy experts Matthew Berry and Mike Clay as you get ready for your fantasy drafts. All right, before we hear from the soon-to-be Hall of Fame wide receiver Drew Pearson. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. And now, the man who the senior committee nominated for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which means his path to Canton is paved former Dallas Cowboys wide receiver great, Drew Pearson. Hello there, Drew. Is that you? Is that you? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> well, it's an honor to be with you. I appreciate taking some time. Thank you very, very much. Absolutely. This is like a hell Mary for me to connect like this. You know, I'm old school. Oh, it is my honor to have you on the show, Drew. And I guess I should start off by asking, you last played in 1983. What the hell took so long? <laughs> I know, 37 years. And, you know, it took me 29 years to get in the Dallas Cowboy Ring of Honor after I retired. So I've got used to waiting. As a matter of fact, I thought my name for a long time was why aren't you? Because before I got in the hall, uh, ring of honor, people were saying, why aren't you in the cowboy ring of honor? And uh, so that I took care of that. But then they're now they're saying, why aren't you in the NFL Hall of Fame? So hopefully uh, uh, February, they'll make the announcement to make it official. And then hopefully the induction will happen in August on 2021. So I'm pretty excited about that opportunity. So why do you think all of a sudden it does take 37 years for the senior committee of the Pro Football Hall of Fame to nominate you, which, by the way, for those who don't know, usually is all but official that you're in. Like we would expect, I don't want to boost your host, but you know the situation. We would expect right. that in February you'll be selected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, as you should be. But why, after 37 years, did it take this long to get to this spot? You know, uh, Adam, that's a $64,000 question. There's no question about that. Uh, and that's what caused a disappointment with me about, you know, not getting in. I thought when I made the all-decade team of the 1970s, you know, that would almost guarantee me a slot or a spot, a bust in the NFL Hall of Fame yeah. because the all-decade teams are selected and voted on by the Hall of Fame committee. So I thought that would be a guarantee that that would happen. But as time went on, you saw all the guys from the 70s go in over you that weren't all decade. I'm not saying those guys aren't Hall of Famers. God bless them and glad they got in. But all I'm saying is they're Hall of Famers, then I should be one too. So that's where the only disappointment I had. Other than that, you just wait it out. You wait your turn. 
And let me tell you something. Uh, whether you get that news uh, on the first ballot five years after your retirement and you get in on the first ballot and you hear that news, you're excited. There's no question about it. But let so, me tell you something. 37 years later, when you hear that news, you're just as excited like you were a first ballot guy because it's the NFL Hall of Fame and it's the most pre prestigious of all Hall of Fames. With all due respect to the other Hall of Famers yeah. and the Hall of Famers in those Hall of Fames, nothing compares to the NFL Hall of Fame. So, Drew, who called you on Tuesday? Who gave you the news and what was your reaction? Yeah, I got a call. Uh, uh, first of all, I got a text message from Rick Gosselin, yeah. who uh, covers the NFL here from the Dallas area, used to cover the Cowboys, knows me pretty well. Uh, he texted me and said, when the phone rings, answer it. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, what? I said, Rick, I always answer it when you call, you know, <laughs> because, you know, you always got some good stuff. Plus, you're all the same voter. So I always answer that. I suck up to you, in other words. <laughs> but... Uh, so I'm waiting, you know, I'm waiting for him to call me. And I waited five, maybe 10 minutes. And then the phone finally rings. And I look at it, it's 330 area code. Yep. And then underneath the number, it had Canton, Ohio. Now, Adam, I'm sure you've been to Canton. Canton. I've been there myself. Actually, last year, when the great Gil Brandt got inducted into the uh, NFL Hall of Fame, and ain't much going on in Canton. So if you get a phone call from Canton, Ohio, it's got to be the NFL Hall of Fame. And it was. It was David Baker. And uh, you know how his big, booming voice yeah. comes through. And it came through the phone. And, you know, I've heard it so many times where he called other guys uh, telling them about their induction into the Hall of Fame. And uh, so I, the same words he told them, he said to me, uh, you know, about the induction. And we're proud to have you, that type of thing. So he kind of made it look, uh, seem like it's just a formality at this point, uh, whether I get in uh, and get that vote on February 6th, the 80% vote that I need to get in. It is a formality. I was a voter for about five or six years, Drew. And to me, whenever the senior committee nominated anybody, there was no reason for you as a voter to vote against that. They are entrusted yeah. with coming up with the best candidates. They make the best selections. They pick the people that have been overlooked. You've been overlooked. Your time has come. And if those voters don't officially select you, and as David himself said, it's a formality, it would be, it would be an egregious crime. Like, that would be awful. So what, what, would it, yeah. what does it mean to you? Let's operate in a what Can you even say what it means to you at this point in time to be a soon-to-be member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame? It means everything to me. You know, I'm a sports guy. That's all I cared about as a kid growing up. The only reason I got good grades in school is so I could stay eligible to play sports, you know. <laughs> Plus, my daddy would whip my butt if I didn't get the grades. <laughs> we had no pass, no play back in our home way back in the day. But, you know, it's, it's just a feeling of uh, satisfaction. I didn't have any dreams of uh, uh, being a Hall of Famer as a kid growing up and coming through. Those dreams really didn't start till I got into the NFL and made the Dallas Cowboys. And every time I walked down that tunnel in Texas Stadium leading down to the field there, I would always look to the right and see those names in the Dallas Cowboy Ring of Honor. And I said, I want my performance this day on this field in this game to be a stepping stone, a building block to one day have my name 
up there in the Dallas Cowboy Ring of Honor. And then once I got that, then I started maybe dreaming about the reality of maybe one day becoming an NFL Hall of Famer. Drew, you talk about looking at those names every time you walk down the tunnel at Texas Stadium. And I would say to you, how does somebody go from Tulsa to being an undrafted free agent to becoming a three-time Pro Bowl player, a three-time first-team All-Pro selection, a Super Bowl champion, a member of the Cowboys Ring of Honor, and now ultimately a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. How does that happen, Drew? Well, there's got a lot of things that have to fall in place uh, uh, for that to happen. There's, there's no question about that. You forgot the fact that I signed with the Cowboys as an undrafted free agent for $14,500 base salary and $150 signing <laughs> bonus. $150? One not one five zero 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 like they get now. But yeah, so it wasn't about anything more than the opportunity. And the reason it turned into something, because all of a sudden now, I'm with this great organization. I'm being coached by Tom Landry, okay? I got teammates like Roger Staubach, Bob Hayes, Bob Lilly, Mel Renfro, Cornell Green, Rayfield Wright, <laughs> you know, Hall of Famers and Ring of Honor guys. And now they're my teammates. And Coach Landry had a system that d didn't depend on talent alone. You know, I wasn't the fastest guy. I'm not the biggest guy. I wasn't the strongest guy. I can't dunk a basketball. So I don't have too much talent, but I could catch a football. And I had a lot of heart. But I also had other things Coach Landry was looking for. The number one thing he looked for in the players was character. The number two thing he looked for in his players was intelligence. You had to be smart to play for Tom Landry. You couldn't grasp that playbook and all the innovations of that offense. And I could take that playbook right now, Adam, and, and, and use it in the NFL and make it work in today's NFL because that's how innovative Coach Landry was back in the day. So intelligence was important. Then he wanted guys that were passionate about the game, would do everything they could individually to make themselves uh, better players so that the team can have better success. And the last thing was talent. So you get in a situation like that, you know, you have a chance to make the team, first of all. And then once you make the team, you have a chance to grow within that organization if you do the things the right way, the Landry way. And, uh, you know, that ain't a bad way. You know, he was tough. He was tough, but he was fair at the same time. And uh, we respected him so because the way he coached the game and prepared us for each and every game that we played uh, gave us tremendous confidence that we're going to come out on top of each game that we play. You bring up Coach Landry. It's not often I have on a guest who played for Coach Landry, who's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame and is one of the greatest coaches who ever walked the planet. What made him great? You bring up the preparation and what he looked for, but what in your mind, as you think back, and it made him a great coach? Uh, discipline. Discipline, uh, paying attention to details. He always said, if you can't do the small things, how do you expect to do the big things? And so we always paid attention to, to details. And he was, uh, he was really smart, okay? Coach Landry had engineering background. He, he flew airplanes in one of the wars, I think World War II or something like that. Very intelligent man. And he, he approached the uh, game of football like a business, you know? Every year we went to training camp, we set goals. We had a reasonable goal, which always was to hopefully win the NFC East. Once we reach that reasonable goal, then we are reached go after our outstanding goal, which of course was go to the Super Bowl and win it. But he didn't just throw them out there. 
he set ways, means, and methods to accomplish those goals. And he was very thorough in everything that he did. And his preparation, he could tell you, Adam, on Wednesday, okay, what a defensive back was going to do on Sunday in a certain situation, a certain quarter, a certain hash mark on that field. And then you say, oh, yeah, how does he know this? <laughs> you got a long time to go before Sunday. This is just Wednesday. But then you get in that situation, in that game, and uh, you go up against that, that defensive back, and he's playing it just like Coach Landry told you he was going to play. So that gives you confidence to go out there. First of all, listen to what he says. Go out there and prepare yourself to do what you got to do. And then you have a chance to be a success. But at the end of the day, it's all about winning. And that's what Coach Landry was all it, about. It sounds very Belichickian. Everything that you described yeah. with Coach Landry. Very yes. much like very detailed, foresight, preparation, discipline, all those things. That's very Bill, Bill Belichick-like in my mind, the way you yeah, describe it. Uh, Belichick is the Tom Landry of today. Let's put it like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see that. Now, you mentioned playing quarterback in Tulsa. And it makes me think, you went to Tulsa there, what, in the early 70s? Yeah. 1969. Do you think in a day and age like today, Drew, if you had gone to Tulsa in 2020 as a freshman and there were college football this season, would you wind up being a quarterback today or would you be moved to wide receiver the way you were back then? No, no. My thing was about being a wide receiver. I only played quarterback in high school because Joe Theismann, you heard of him? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was a quarterback in high school. He was a senior when I was a sophomore. And I started at split end and safety on defense. And Joey was the quarterback, and that's all he did. He didn't win no special teams. He didn't go both ways or nothing like that because he was that good. And we used, he was a prized possession on the football team. The first, touch, the first pass I caught in my high school career uh, was from Joe Theismann or Joe Thiesman back then. <laughs> and it was a 60-yard touchdown pass I caught standing in the end zone. And he threw it scrambling to his left on the run. And so that's how good he was. But anyway, I, after Joey left, you know, I, I actually would play the varsity game on Saturday afternoon, play the whole game at wide receiver and safety on defense, and then play the JV game, junior varsity game, on Monday at quarterback to groom myself to replace Joe Thiesman. And uh, after he left, I replaced him, and we had success. We lost two games in three years. I made All-State quarterback, and that got me some scholarship offers. I ended up choosing Tulsa over Nebraska. And the reason is because Tulsa had a great baseball program, great baseball team, great baseball coach, players going to major leagues and stuff like that. And that was my sport. I was like 160, actually 145 pounds coming out of high school bulked up to about 155 and then maybe when I got into the NFL it was 165 170 so you know baseball was better suited for me and my body type but once I got to Tulsa I started at uh, on the freshman team at quarterback and uh, after the season ended the coach came to me and said hey you know you got a chance to start next year on the varsity as a sophomore but you got to make that commitment so I made a commitment to football, gave up baseball, and then started two years at quarterback there at Tulsa, and then asked him after that, could he move me to wide receiver? Because we brought in a couple of JUCO guys that were very qualified to step in and be that quarterback. So the coach, uh, according to him, Claude Gibson at that time, who played for the uh, Oakland Raiders back in the day, 
you know, he said, the, the decision is good for you, Drew, but it ain't good for me, okay? <laughs> he wanted me to stay at quarterback, uh, but I wanted to move to wide receiver because after giving up baseball, now I had the dream, the desire of wanting to play in the NFL. I cannot believe that I grew up in New York and I watched the Dallas Cowboys growing up and I watched the Washington Redskins at that time growing up and I never knew that you and Joe Thiesman went to <laughs> South River High School at the same time and were a high school team. I never knew that until you just shared that with me. That's unbelievable that these two athletes that I watched growing up, I had no <laughs> idea that there was a connection way back when, not far from where I grew up. That's amazing. Yeah, and, uh, and it's even more amazing because you know everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't I know that, Drew. You must have had no cell phones back then. <laughs> no cell phones back then, so I had no idea that that was even going on. So I'm blown away by that factoid, plain and simple. That's amazing. Now, I will say this. For all that you accomplished in your career, and it was considerable, and the wait for the Hall of Fame is long overdue, how yes. many people know you from your rant from the 2017 NFL draft in Philadelphia. Do people still remind you about that little rant today, Drew? To announce the Dallas Cowboys selection, please welcome the University of Tulsa wide receiver, Drew Pearson. All right. How about them Cowboys? I want to thank the Eagle fans for allowing me to have a career in the an undrafted free agent to be selected to make the Cowboys second round draft pick and on behalf of the five-time world champion Dallas Cowboys Hall of Fame owner Jerry Jones Team Jones and the Jones family Coach Jason Garrett all the Cowboy players that played before me that played with me and played after me with the second Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, when I do a, a, a presentation or a personal appearance, I used to get introduced with Drew Pearson football highlights, okay? Yep. <laughs> now they introduce me with the draft day speech, okay? <laughs> and uh, so that's what my claim to fame. They don't even talk about or show the Hail Mary anymore, which they used to show all the time. Uh, uh, but now they show that draft day speech. And I'm pretty much known for that because everywhere I go, and I run into Philadelphia Eagle fans, you know, and they tell me, oh, that speech, that speech, that speech, you know, and Cowboy fans, that speech, oh, that presentation, that was the best and all that kind of stuff. After that, you know, I was trending worldwide and all that, and I didn't really know what that meant. I'm not too much into that social media, <laughs> and that type of thing. And uh, so what happened after that is just a whole nother group of people, a whole nother demographic. Uh, knew about Drew Pearson and you know they say well you watched it they heard the presentation and all that and then they say oh let me look up this guy and see what he's done and who he is and what he's all about so it was a whole different demographic that wasn't even around when I played that all of a sudden knew the name Drew Pearson and it just catapulted me out there appearance wise and 
you know, any other kind of way. It was a tremendous season that year uh, uh, because of all the recognition I was getting and all the opportunities I was getting. So it, it kind of re, re, uh, rejuvenated, revitalized the name Drew Pearson. You know, a lot of people knew from the 11 years in the league, but it had been a long time since I played. And it's, again, this new demographic, they knew about Drew Pearson. They heard about the Hail Mary. But, you know, they didn't really know. But because of that speech, uh, it caused them to do a little research and find out more about Drew Pearson. So now I can relate to the younger group as well as, well as to the older group and uh, older demographic as well. So, yeah, it kind of... Uh, went over pretty well, but here's the deal. I didn't, I didn't plan on delivering that presentation like that. You know, I, on the way up there, Adam, I had wrote out what I wanted to say, because I felt honored that the Cowboys had chosen me to make this presentation. But all the Hall of Famers and Ring of Honor guys, they selected me. So I wanted to do the Cowboys right. But that speech in Philadelphia, that was not planned at all. It was basically spontaneous. It was, it was not planned. It wasn't planned to deliver it that way. Okay, what, what, the reason I deliver it that way is because once, I, once the commissioner announced up next with the uh, 60th pick in the second round of the Dallas Cowboys, yeah. and the fans started booing, I mean, it was going crazy. So he comes backstage, and I'm standing there, and he says, hey, are you ready for this? I said, commissioner, this is no big deal. I'm used <laughs> to being booed in Philadelphia. This is no big deal. And then I said, as a matter of fact, what I should say, if it wasn't for the Eagle players, I wouldn't have had a career in the NFL. And he said, say it, say it. That'd be good. Say that. Okay. And so as I walked down toward the stage, the booze and the, and the noise got louder and louder. So now I'm at the podium. You know, I'm a, I'm a TV guy. I've been in the media business for a long time. And you learn in the media business that the microphone always picks you up, no matter what the crowd noise is around you. You don't really have to yell into that microphone to be heard. But I was so pumped up by the time I got to that stage that, you know, the emotion was there and the emotion took over the presentation. And, I, and as they got louder and loud, uh, the booze got louder and louder. I got louder and louder in my presentation. And uh, as I walked backstage, the commissioner's hugging me. All the guys are hugging me. All the guys in the green room, Jim Taylor, uh, uh, Jim Brown, uh, Barry Sanders, all these great guys are hugging me, congratulating me for that presentation. And uh, again, you know, it got the name Drew Pearson out there. Uh, so another demographic can uh, appreciate what I did and what I brought to the NFL. Well, Drew, I got the perfect idea now for how you begin your induction speech at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You opened right. it up by saying, if it weren't for the Philadelphia Eagles, I wouldn't <laughs> be standing here today. Oh, yeah, you're putting something on my mind, that's for sure. <laughs> you got to start it that way now, Drew, you I'm have, gonna to. have to. I'm going to have to consider that, okay? Before I let you go, Drew, I want to thank you for your time today. The number 88 has been worn in Cowboys history by great players. You wore it, Michael Irvin wore it, Des Bryant wore it, and now C.D. Lamb is about to wear it. Do you have any messages for C.D. Lamb? Have you had a chance to speak with him to tell him what that number means and what his responsibility to the Dallas Cowboys is going forward? No, I haven't yet, but I hope I get the opportunity because along the, the, the lineage and the uh, legacy of the 
number 88 in Dallas Cowboy football history. I've had that opportunity. I was working for the local TV station when Michael Irvin was drafted. And the assignment they sent me on was go out to the airport and get that first interview with Michael Irvin. He comes off the plane and he sees me, he hugs me. You know how Michael kissed you all over the place yep. and all that. He was doing that way back then. But, you know, first thing he said, he said, Drew, they want me to wear number 88. Is it okay? I said, Michael, first of all, it's not my number. Second of all, if you do wear it, don't do what I did in it. Do more than I did. That's going to create the legacy. And Michael took that and ran with it. Three Super Bowls as a team player and uh, individually Hall of Fame type career. And so now they anoint Dez with that number. So Michael Irvin and I get together with Dez, and we tell Dez, we put the pressure on Dez, don't do what we did in it, do more than we did in it. And Dez was on a roll. You know, he didn't have the team success, but the individual success in his first year, eight years in the league, I mean, he was dominating and, uh, you know, set some cowboy records. So he was on that path. But now with C.D. Lamb, hopefully we can get together with him and let him know what this number really means to us, first of all, the legacy of the double eights, and then what it means to the Dallas Cowboy organization, because that is the only number they treat that way with that kind of respect. And I appreciate them for doing that. And now the pressure's on C.D. Lamb to live up to the expectations of wearing that number as part of the legacy of the Dallas Cowboys. And the pressure's on Drew Pearson to deliver one of the great Hall of Fame induction speeches that we've ever heard next summer and i look forward to hearing that and i want to thank you very much for taking the time to join us today it's a pleasure and honor to get to some to talk to somebody that i watched growing up somebody that i've admired and respected from afar somebody that made me laugh at the 2017 hall of fame and somebody who's finally gotten his due after way too long waiting for his ticket to arrive in the thriving metropolis of canton ohio drew right on thank you thank you for saying that and i appreciate that and let me say this, I respect what you do and the information you bring, okay? The best way to appreciate what you do and the information you bring is to imagine not having that information, okay? Where would we be, okay? So I appreciate that and uh, you're a hard worker. You would have been a great member of the Dallas Cowboys because you know how to bring it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I would have been, I would have been awesome. That would have been an honor of a lifetime. Drew, thank you very much. Look forward to seeing you in person, hopefully soon. Be well, stay safe, and thank you for the time today. You got it, sir. Thank you. God bless and stay safe. What a fun guy. Nice guy. Like that, Drew Pearson. My new friend. And it's only fitting that he begin his speech in Canton with a tribute to the Eagles fans, which I'm sure he will keep in mind as he writes up his speech for the summer of 2021. And before we sign off, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do big, small, and when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash 
Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Adam. And Monday also happens to be the one-year anniversary of the day that Andrew Luck shocked the sports world and walked away from the National Football League. It was one of those you-remember-where-you-were moments. And I remember where I was. I was at a restaurant in Piermont, New York, a place I had never visited before, for my mother-in-law's surprise 75th birthday dinner. She had just walked into the restaurant. We had just sat down at the table. And as I sat down at the table, got a text that said, are you free? And I thought to myself, we are celebrating my mother-in-law tonight. Can there just be a moment that you get to yourself? And again, that's just the nature of the job. I love my job. Wouldn't trade it for anything. But sometimes you're with family like that, and you'd like to have that moment stand on its own, and it just can't happen. Well, I excused myself from the table. I walked outside, called back the person, and found out that Andrew Luck was retiring. Called around, confirmed the news, sent it in, and no more than two minutes after I filed that story to ESPN and posted it on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, got a call from one Matthew Hasselbeck my teammate at ESPN, who I love working with. And he said to me, did you report Andrew Luck is retiring? And I said, yeah. And he said, are you sure? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I was just with Andrew in Indianapolis the past two days, just left him, and he never mentioned it to me. And I thought to myself, oh my God, did I just get something wrong? Could this have not been right? Because how could Matthew Hasselbeck, his former teammate, his close friend, be with him in Indianapolis for the previous 48 hours and not have any idea that there was going to be this announcement that shook the sports world? Obviously, it turned out to be true. Andrew made it official that night. He walked away from the game. But it was one of those moments that you'll never forget. I won't. And I will always link it to my mother-in-law and her 75th birthday party. So one year later, I do want to wish my mother-in-law, Paula, a very happy 76th birthday. I hope it's more special than your 75th birthday. And again, we will remember the day that Andrew Luck retired and always will. All right, I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting up with me, putting up with the technology that failed us this week. I want to thank our guests on the podcast this week, Matthew Berry and Mike Clay. I want to thank Drew Pearson, who we do hope has his Hall of Fame selection made official in January, February at the Super Bowl this year. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. We truly appreciate it. Please join us again next week when we'll be joined by Evan Silva and Adam Levitin, the fantasy football experts from Establish the Run. The Establish the Run website, one of the great websites for fantasy football. They'll be here next week to provide you with even more fantasy football knowledge and insight and information as you get ready for your fantasy football drafts. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Be well and stay safe.